Hi everybody and welcome to episode 7 of the Threads of Autism podcast. Today's episode is titled Saying No to an Autistic Child. Just to kick off and let you know that should you prefer not to listen to a podcast, (laughs) I do tend to write them up as blogs and there are many other blogs on my website and you can also access a newsletter that comes out once a month. Both of these things you will find on my website, that is www.autismthreads.co.uk. And I do really need to explain the threads thing, um, but I'm not going to do that today because I will run out of time, so um, perhaps on another episode. (laughs) Right, so saying no to an autistic child. This title has been on my list of episodes to record for quite some time. It is something I've thought about so much over the years, it always kind of crops up into my mind, and mainly from a particular experience that happened quite a few years ago. And I was invited to speak about my business, Autism Threads, and to tell my story and my journey with Henry and autism to a group of grannies and grandpas (laughs) uh, from the old age home who were transported once a week to my son's secondary school. And it was part of their voluntary service program in the community where the students, I think they were sort of year nine, so what's that, 14, 15 year olds, who would provide tea and cake and spend some time chatting to the grannies and grandpas. It was such an uplifting and wonderful thing to experience, honestly. You know, the elderly are so, they're just so lovely. You could see how much the teenagers were actually enjoying their conversations with them. And I found them all to be so engaging, so sprightly, so humorous, so lovely to talk to, so interesting. And, you know, it's sort of, I'm just thinking about it now, you know, you can draw parallels to autistic people in a way, because, you know, in our culture, the elderly are often so dismissed as being too old to care or have anything to say or don't understand because they might be going deaf or they're a bit slow or whatever the story is. And we tend to not engage them terribly well. Um, Dare I say, leave them sitting in a corner. And I think that can often happen with autistic people too. And it's really sad because they have so much to offer. And it was so clear to see how much even a bunch of modern day teenagers were gaining from this experience. So anyway, I'm chatting away about my autism threads and my products, um, all of which are kind of, you know, designed to raise awareness, be positive, act as visual cues to help start conversations because autism is not visually recognizable. So how will people know? And about allowing people to feel okay to ask questions, you know, as a parent of an autistic child, that's all I, I want. I don't care if the question's worded incorrectly. I would rather it be incorrectly worded than not worded at all and and the opportunity to start a conversation and to help them understand and to help them learn you know that is the only path to acceptance anyway I'll shut up about that (laughs) so the point is that this boy from the school teenage boy came up to me afterwards and it was my one opportunity you know so surprised that this boy knew something of autism wanted to come you know was brave enough to come and ask me a question and talk to me wasn't embarrassed and I kind of blew it and it's really bugged me ever since because he said to me my you know we're chatting away and along the lines of my mum says you can never say no to an autistic person 
and I kind of I wasn't prepared for it and I kind of had never really thought about it from an outsider's point of view and I'd never really kind of specifically identified it in my own world with Henry at that time but it was kind of something I immediately thought hmm yeah that is a bit true and I kind of fumbled around a bit and just blabbed and didn't do very well with my answer and said something along the lines of well you know there's lots of ways to say no without saying the word no and this kid kind of went oh yeah <laughs> and and I lost my opportunity and I, I felt so cross with myself and then as I've thought about it, you know, again and again over the years, I kind of, it is sad in a way because people out there, the general public, who don't have any personal connection to autism tend to take these sound bites that they hear and, and formulate this little very brief picture because often people tend to just need that kind of one sentence summary, brief description to get it. Um, to understand and then and then that's it it's not really in their worlds you know um but autism isn't like that it's just so so complicated the spectrum is vast it varies massively from individual to individual and i think they take these little things and that that's why you end up with these sort of incorrect perceptions in society oh you know autistic people don't like to be touched or um they're really good at maths or um i don't know you know uh, again you can never say no to them and and that particular one is really saddening because it's almost as if they are, you know, at, at the best of times, I think people genuinely are quite apprehensive and um, concerned or worried about whether it is okay to ask questions in the first place if they realize a person is autistic. But now this is kind of almost showing a level of fear. And, and I have seen that as well. And I try not to, hop, you know, think about it too much, but there is that level of fear. Oh, you can't say no to them. So so what you're automatically going to do is just not say anything at all. You'll just avoid them or leave them alone. And and I mean, these aren't, this isn't, you know, these are people on the spectrum, their own peers in their classrooms every day that they might not know about, you know, and, or even if they do, that they are not taking the time to engage or even be in the presence of or even show their acceptance of because of fear, like, you know, what happens if I have to say no, and, and, and that'll be all they all they know is that that somehow is going to be a disaster. And that that didn't, does that translate to that actually autistic people are not that nice? <laughs> um, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. And so yes, in a way, it is true. Um, I'd be lying if I said, there were times where I myself have been fearful of saying no to Henry, fearful of the consequences and trying to avoid that and feeling not so much fearful, but I guess a sort of anxiety <laughs> on top of all the other concerns. Um, so yes, it is true in many respects, but there are reasons for it and there is so much we can do. And most importantly, I think the reasons are not at all what people assume them to be. Um, so, you know, there is a part of being autistic is needing to have things on your own terms. And that does not mean it's a specific and, you know, consistent personality type. That's, it's not that at all. It is having things on their own terms in order to meet their needs, in order for them to be able to cope in a world that does not suit the way their brains work. 
And in order for them to remain regulated, to remain engaged, to be able to interact in society and study and cope in the classroom and hold down a job and manage all these transitions to and from school and life and noises and the environment, they need to have things on their terms in order for that to be able to be successful. So it is things like having their expectations met, needing a level of predictability about what's going to happen, about what's what the day ahead is like, what the schedule is. It is a fear of disappointment or a fear of change to what they were expecting or their expectations not being met or something interrupting that um, that can deeply affect their sense of time and where they are and where their bodies are in space and time. And that can be quite scary for them. In fact, quite is not even the word. It is, it is traumatic and hugely impacting on them. So when something does, that they were expecting ends up being a no, <laughs> that can cause levels of distress that I don't think the average person really understands and can also be quite dismissive of or interpret as the autistic person being rather selfish, unrelenting, you know, um, not a nice person and, and nothing could be further from the truth. I, I also came across a social media post recently um, where a father is describing that he's realized, you know, they, that, that they have, him and his wife have realized that their daughter does not appreciate <laughs> being told no. And the Instagram account is called raising underscore Emma underscore bear. And it's such a classic little clip. And I'll read you a little section from it because it's, it's really interesting as well. So it says, Emma does not receive no in inverted commas very well. I'm not 100% sure why, but I think she believes it's finale, as in never again. I also think it makes her anxious in a sense of, if no, now what? Causing even more confusion and chaos. But I just thought that really summed things up quite nicely as well. And, and there's two things I've never really thought about with Henry. Um, so again, you know, I'm sure there are parents out there who also have reasons why they, they know their child doesn't respond well to being told no. And I would love to hear them. And, and please do email me anytime, trish at autismthreads.co.uk. We all need to understand this a lot better and learn to empathize with how it makes them feel. So we can understand why it's happening and we can, you know, the world is an unpredictable place at times. And um, what we can do to help Autistic people can be very literal. It's another part of uh, autism, um, being very literal-minded. And again, in varying degrees, totally individual by individual, dependent. And, you know, essentially, they're also never wrong. And I mean it, it's true. It's like, it's quite awe-inspiring, actually, and something we really should respect, because they are truly, and I don't mean it's kind of braggish, you know, way. When you understand the way their brain works and you can analyze something that's happened or been said and you really sit down and think about it, they are never wrong. It might seem wrong in our world, in our kind of social crazy nut world, 
but they actually are never wrong. I mean, my son is nonverbal. He is never, ever wrong. To Henry, broccoli on his plate are trees. Is he wrong? I mean, that is exactly what broccoli on a plate looks like. It looks like a miniature shrunken version of like a baobab tree. It's a tree. You know, why would you eat a tree? Um, <laughs> classic examples of his younger years. A Thornton's, a Thornton's tray of chocolates is not chocolate. It's a puzzle. And to be fair, you know that the tray is indented specifically to the shape of each chocolate. Is that not exactly how a toddler's puzzle works? So it's a puzzle. I mean, he's not wrong. And therefore it's not chocolate, so it won't be eaten. He was never wrong. And it's mind-boggling. It really is. They are so pure. And, you know, the fact that they enjoy the kind of pure, logical, uncomplicated ways um, makes them incredible beings. And they can be very literal. So if you are able to convince them that something very logically, factually, correctly is the reason for no, they tend to accept that a lot better. So when Henry was younger, I'm sure he's getting a little bit suspicious about it now. He's a little bit too sharp thinking, mm, I don't think that's really locked. <laughs> but we would often, I mean, he absolutely loves to case a joint. Um, there is no question of going out and about shopping, especially if we're on holiday and you're visiting a lovely little whatever village or place, city, town in France, say, for example. You know, you do have other children who want to go and look around. One of us will tag team. I will basically go with Henry and I literally, nothing is on my agenda. I do, I, I am not allowed to do anything I want to do and that's absolutely fine. I'll come another day on my own. And I find it totally fascinating to just follow Henry and let him decide where he wants to go. Um, that can mean a number of things sometimes. <laughs> but overall, it's always so enjoyable and so fascinating. His mental map and the way he sees things is so different to the way we all do and you know my goodness how many shops in old ancient villages even on the pantiles in Tunbridge Wells if anybody lives my way in Kent my gosh how many spiral staircases down to basement storage rooms of shops can there be and they don't have doors I mean Henry is oh nothing better than a shoe shop storeroom honestly he's straight back in there does not comprehend why he shouldn't be there um, so really basically for me avoiding saying no you can't go down there um, okay, spiral staircases are a bit tricky, but uh, doors and gates, I would often go up and catch it just before him and go, oh no, oh dear, it's locked. And it take a few seconds for him to go, it's locked, therefore it's impossible to go through, I can accept that. And he moves on and it's and it worked for so long, it's been amazing, it still works sometimes. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, you know, it's also another hugely important part of that sentence is the oh dear or oh no, because if I resonate or sympathize with how he's feeling and that I am surprised and shocked and it wasn't part of my expectation or plan either, then it makes him feel a lot better. He feels understood and can accept it and process it a lot better. That has also been another big win I've learned over the years. And uh, yeah, you know, again, I mean, I <laughs> I chatted to a mum once a couple of years ago who whose son decided he absolutely had to have um, a koala bear and they live in a nice little cottage in England. 
and he was intensely interested in animals, in particular the koala, so there was an awful lot of his day spent researching, and, you know, it was a real sort of passion. And um, she, so cleverly, I mean, such respect, she said to him, right, you know, knowing, obviously now this is, he sleeps and breathes koalas, because when you're hyper-focused on something, it's all or nothing. <laughs> And she said, well, actually, it would be amazing to get a koala bear. I would love that as well. I mean, how incredible. So let's think about where they live. How do we get them here? And what, what climate will they need? And what food will they need? And, and how will they live in our home? And, of course, he goes away. And, and then the reality and the factual elements kick in. Okay, wrong climate, no eucalyptus trees you know, et cetera, et cetera, and, and totally accepts, well, that, that makes perfect sense, you know, to them. You have to, it has to be the truth, man. <laughs> you know, so there are, you know, she could have just said, no, we can't get a koala bear. Don't be crazy. Of course we can't get a koala bear. And, and it would have been so, so upsetting. Um, and rightly so, you know, when, when it doesn't seem to make sense and isn't factually correct and isn't, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, you? You need to be really careful with your nose, I should say. And obviously life is life and these things happen um, and, and it can be inevitable. And I really, really don't think parents should be fearful of this. You know, yes, it's going to cause disappointment. Yes, it may even cause a meltdown. That is a genuinely, physically, emotionally stressing, distressing, draining experience for both adult and autistic child, um, that they will recover and so will you. And there is lots we can do to help that process um, and help that recovery when we understand, first of all, for, for anyone out there to realize it, if we can quickly get over it and go, oh, she said, no, it's no. Um, we must learn to empathize and understand that for them it's a, it is so much more than that it's going to hurt them on so many levels um physically emotionally mentally um you know they it's deeply disappointing they can lose their trust in you they can it's it's just difficult okay and we have to accept that about them and help them help them to recover give them time to process it i've found um, certainly stripping away all language, you know, I mean, you do, we all do this, even neurotypical, with neurotypical children and toddlers, don't we? We say no, and then we give a whole load of reasons why and excuses, and that is the, the absolute cue to start pushing the boundaries. When you pick a few unconditional no's and you stop talking, it's really hard to do. Oh my gosh, it works so well. It is like, no, the law is down, it's no. Um, and the same thing again, it's to an autistic person and it's no, for whatever reason has come up. I mean, we all try our best for, for it not, for something not to disappoint them. But that's just not life, unfortunately, especially in families with other children and siblings. Um, then it's to help them recover, okay? And... I think each parent knows their child best. And again, we kind of learn through experience and making mistakes first, unfortunately. Um, but to, you know, for me, it's immediately stripping away all the language, resonating with how my child is feeling, like resonating and knowing. I'm so, and apologizing, absolutely apologizing. I am so sorry. It's no, I'm so sorry. I know 
how upset you are. I know this is not what you were expecting. I don't want it to be this way for you. I'm sorry. And whatever it, it takes, if it's a quiet space, if it's getting down on their level, dropping to the floor, wherever you are, if it's deep pressure hugs from behind, if it means missing that train, that bus, that aeroplane even, you have got to give them space and time to process the information, to readjust, to uh, regain themselves from the effects of the quite literally physical pain it can cause. Um, understand that they will feel possibly tired, hungry, and they might feel as though hours have passed. You know, my son often sort of ends up heading up and running the bath, thinking it's bath time when it's actually only lunchtime because he's now completely dysregulated. He's lost all sense of where he is in space and time. That's what that's what this upset can do sometimes, you know, and and learning from it each time. You know, I, I also think it's really important to say that you do deserve to say no when you need to say no. Um, I know as parents we go above and beyond and we absolutely, who wouldn't avoid disappointment for their child at all costs, especially when you know how deeply it can impact them. But there are limits and I'm going to wrap up by mentioning something about boundaries, which I think is quite closely related. And it's something I learned really recently. I was at an internal review for my son, Henry, and um, the specialist I was talking to was actually ADHD himself. And it really opened my eyes. And I mean, I spend like I'm sure many other parents do. Ugh, I really wish I could separate the ADHD and the autism, but they're so jolly intertwined and, and it's such a ugh, minefield. But his description to me just, oh my gosh, you know, it was one of those great little gems in life, really, where I just learned so much in, in a few sentences. I, you know, the thing he described about ADHD is this need for control. Um, and of course, I think this will resonate with parents whose children have ODD, which is Oppositional Defiance Disorder, and PDA, which is Pathological Demand Avoidance. So avoiding demands, which is again, you know, another huge area where we're saying no, it's just not going to be good. Um, and, you know, he, he, he needs to control his environment and he often needs to control me. And I'm very aware of him controlling me. I was not so aware of him controlling his environment, especially in the home and especially, you know, aka the lounge where it was the hub of the home, the lounge, <laughs> where we all hang out. It, it's not just, it's not his room, it's our family lounge. And, um, you know, I, I do allow Henry to control me. And I think it's important to mention here that this is not him manipulating and intentionally controlling me. I think he's aware he's controlling me, but it's a need for him. It is not coming from a selfish place. Um, it's not even coming from an attention-seeking place. It is just a need because he's in an environment that ne he needs to feel some control over so that he can remain regulated. And I am that consistent person in his life. I am that trusted person. I am the one who's most invested in his day-to-day -day life because, because daddy has to go to work and his siblings have to go to school and so I am the one he can control and I am very aware that I allow him to do it um, perhaps more than I should it was quite a lesson for me to go do you know what I actually I do need to 
put some boundaries in place. And at the same time, this guy's suggesting I put the boundaries in place, especially with the environment and me thinking, how on earth am I going to do this? This is just like, you know, and also not sure I really want to because he's not harming anyone. And if I allow him to have those moments where he's completely controlling me, I mean, he can cut like a knife between my husband and I, you know, there is no conversation going to be going down. And he's so flipping clever at it. He's so smiley, cheeky, cuddly, you know, I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> manipulation extraordinaire with a gorgeous little face. It's, it's unbelievable. And my husband will look at me and I'll go, I know, I know, but I allow it to happen because he's happy and it's keeping the peace and ugh, I'm prepared to do that. And I actually think it's not fair on the rest of the family at times. And it's actually, they could even tolerate it for his sake because they feel the same way about him as I do. Um, they don't want to upset and dysregulate him either. And, you know, he's such a gem and a joy and a fascination. And, oh, my goodness, just let him be who he wants to be. But I need to do it for me, too. I am I am a wife and I am a mother to my other children, etc. So this guy really just opened my eyes to, okay, Henry is controlling his environment with physical things. So every time he's in the lounge, he comes home, he, a weekend, on the weekends, he moves two dining room chairs into our lounge and puts them facing two of the windows. He doesn't use them. <laughs> they just have to go there in exactly the same place. And I've, of course, allowed it to happen because, well, they're not bothering anybody. It's not doing anybody harm. We so often all just eat in the lounge in front of the telly anyway. So, but actually, they are my dining room chairs. They belong in a dining room, and that's, that's how I like my home to be. And, of course, I'm waiting till he goes to school and, and putting them back. And... If I, I mean, if you move them, oh my gosh, when he's in the room, goodness, great. no, 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 you don't want to go there. Um, and, and this specialist was sort of explaining that they get a positive response when they're allowed to put that control in place. And it makes them obviously a positive response is a success and something to be repeated. And so they continue to do it. And so now not only does he move the chairs, he takes the little side tables that we have our drinks on in the evening and everything. And he takes the tops off them. One of them's been broken, not, not intentionally. It's just fake granite, so clearly wasn't as strong as it looked. <laughs> and then the bases go outside. Rain, hail, you know, whatever. Sunshine, snow. And, I mean, that's just ridiculous. But, of course, I was like, oh, no, 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 move them right back in. And then it upsets him because also I've now adjusted the environment. I mean, not cool. Um, and I've, and I've, yeah, I've made him cross because that's his little environmental control. So this guy explaining to me how, how incrementally I have to make these changes and put these boundaries in place. They have to be done in absolutely minute, strategic, tiny, incremental stages. And that actually, of course, of course it should be like that because Henry's so sensitive to his environment. So why would I make a huge change like that, even though he's made a change by bringing in the chairs? I now need to be very careful about bringing that back because it'll affect him so deeply. So needless to say, uh, an entire half term, I got to move the chairs 10 centimeters. I'm not joking. Most days I moved them a couple of centimeters and I'd come back into the room and they were right back where they were. I mean, it's, it's legendary, fascinating. Um, roll down another half term and I eventually the dining room chairs <laughs> are back in the dining room and he doesn't move them anymore. I mean, it's just mind boggling. Um, and again, you know, you, 
you have to, as parents, I'm just urging you to really think about what those boundaries are. You know, if, if a, a child, because of their autism and their anxiety and everything else they have to cope with in a day, you need to be in that parking bay, the same parking bay at exactly the same time every day after school. Is that reasonable? Is that, are you going to drive to the school an hour and a half early to avoid the traffic and to get that particular parking bay and sit there at the expense of your own time and sense of mental well-being and health just to ensure that that you meet that apparent need, you know. So um, it's, again, it's that really, it's like sitting on the fence. It is such a fine line between, uh, you know, accepting who they are and making adjustments so that they can be okay and cope with their days and, you know, cope in this world that is not geared to the way their brains work versus preparing them for living in a world, hopefully independently, that will never be suited to the way their brains work and that it's just not reasonable in life to expect to be to expect your parents to be in the same parking bay at the same time every single day so um i think i would just say and i think you know when we're in that bubble we we do so much more than we realize we are actually doing anyway so if it's starting to feel like just a little bit wow then i would say it's already way beyond what others would do um, and I would think about really incrementally, again, my new word I've learned, <laughs> um, putting some little boundaries in place and, and making adjustments so that you can maintain a sense of self, you know, and as well as prepare your child. Um, so, yeah, that is that is it for me today, guys um, and girls. <laughs> and just to say, please do give me a follow on social media. Um, I share lots of stuff about my products, but also about Henry and our life. And so you will see pictures of who I actually am occasionally, um, and certainly who Henry is. And the um, the name is at Autism Threads on Facebook and Instagram mainly, a little bit on Twitter. I will be back in a couple of weeks. And don't forget, you are not alone and your child is going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs>